Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Sarah. It's been a while since we sang that song. We uh, sang that as our theme song for our missions conference in 2022. And uh, glad that we saved those song sheets and we just pulled them out of the file and, and uh, redistributed them. And uh, it was great to sing that song together. Proverbs chapter number one for our scripture this evening. Appreciate Derek reading uh, this passage. And we will uh, be in our theme still on discipleship, but we'll, we'll take just a little bit of a different angle tonight. I want to talk to us and share from the Word of God the simple, practical truths from Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 8. We'll uh, address some other passages or incorporate some other passages, but primarily we'll be in Proverbs 1 and verses 1 through 8. And we see here that a wise man learns. Now, man is in general, humankind, human beings, people. A wise person learns. As we are talking about discipleship, when do we ever quit learning? Whether we are the mentor, the one doing the discipling, or the one who is the student, so to speak, who is learning, really, we never stop growing, we never stop learning. If we ever reach the point where we think that we have arrived, that we don't have to learn anything more, I think we're in trouble. And I think that many times as we are given maybe responsibilities, as we're given leadership, really it's in so many different areas of life, we are given the privilege, the responsibility to do some measure of instruction, teaching, confrontation maybe even, um, whether it be as a parent with our children or with a coworker or an employee, someone uh, under us as we may be in a place of management or leadership, it, just so many different ways. Uh, as we know that we all have some measure of influence in people's lives, I think sometimes we think, well, it's this particular person with this particular title. They're the ones who have all of the responsibility to influence, to teach, to instruct. When we have, in the place that God has put us, many times opportunities all around. It's one of the reasons we assemble together as a church and that God distributes spiritual gifts because we have opportunities within the body of Christ to instruct and to teach, to mentor, to disciple, to help, to encourage, to counsel, it's one of the reasons we assemble together, and we assemble, yes, primarily for corporate worship, but there's Bible studies, and there's other fellowships. We have a Valentine's banquet coming up. Sometimes discipleship takes place in a living room, in a conversation, at a restaurant, at the tables in the fellowship hall. Sometimes it's more formal than that. There's a specific time and place set aside. We're going to go over this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at this particular topic but it's life touching life. And that happens in so many different ways. I, I think that many times we kind of overlook what we seem to think are insignificant opportunities. Big brother, big sister with little brother, little sister. Did we ever think about that as an opportunity for big brother or big sister to disciple, to encourage, to instruct? Now I know big brother, big sister, they can get into the the mommy-daddy role and little brother, little sister, the last thing they want to hear is 
something from big brother or big sister that sounds like what mom and dad say, right? You know, you get that um, two or three mommies in the house or an extra dad in the house. I know that sometimes that sibling rivalry stuff uh, happens. But how many times do little brothers, little sisters look up to an older sibling? How many times do they try to pattern their life and they try to be that, that little shadow sometimes? And what an opportunity that an older sibling has to be an influence on a younger sibling. Think about so many different ways in which we can impact a person's life for Jesus Christ. So again, as we have looked at the last couple of weeks, we've talked about being an example. And we have really kind of focused on our responsibility with character, with integrity, with godliness, being that good example, being that good testimony. And that's important, obviously. But we're going to go to Proverbs 1, and we're going to see how really both sides, the discipler and the disciplee, both need to be growing and learning together. And in those places of influence, confrontation, leadership, there's opportunities for us, even who may be in leadership, who have a responsibility to steward and to lead those who are under us. There's a cleansing effect to helping and to counseling and to leading and to confronting and to working with other people who may be in a subservient role as far as titles, as far as a particular position, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're equal. There may be leadership roles, leadership titles, but there's leadership that involves sometimes guidance, counsel, confrontation, and if that leader can't learn from those whom he or she is confronting, then that leader has become arrogant, maybe a little proud, a little too uh, over the top in their uh, leadership, in their authority, maybe has started to become too authoritarian. I've talked about sometimes pastors, men in the ministry who become almost like dictators, who think they're the fourth person of the Trinity, and think that they can be the Holy Spirit in every person's life, that's a dangerous place when a man begins to try to take that role and thinks that he can step into that. When he thinks he's above criticism, approach, when he's above constructive uh, suggestions or criticism, again, I've given the illustration many a time, but there's been multiple times where I'll go into a meeting, go into a time of confrontation. I know it might be a particularly difficult thing, but I have, even as the one who is bringing the discipline or bringing the uh, particular hard truth or instruction, I have found myself praying and asking for God to make sure my heart is clean, make sure my heart is right. Many times we start meetings where we pray and we ask for God to be in our midst so that all of us in the meeting are responding to the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important that we never go into a place where we think we've arrived, we've got it all. We can learn, even from those who are, in a sense, below us in maybe a rank or a chain of command, but we can still learn from them as they are learning from us. How many times do we learn things from our children? How many times out of the mouth of babes is there wisdom 
so many, so many times there's been uh, a time where I'm upset or I'm frustrated and there's a particular uh, word or something that comes out of my mouth or a command or a reminder. And then there's been many times where my kids have said something and I didn't think about that. I didn't know that particular fact or I didn't know this. You know how it is, something happens, something crashes in the other room. And immediately, if we're not careful, we'll go running in and we've got everything already figured out, right? We know it was so-and-so who did such-and-such. And if we're not careful, we'll already go in there and we'll have our guns blazing and we'll have our flame throwing. And I've been guilty of this and then come to find out we didn't have all the facts or it was something beyond their control or whatever the case may be. And we have to maybe apologize or in that situation, we have to reevaluate and realize, okay, maybe I need to approach these kinds of situations differently. All kinds of ways in which we are learning and we are growing. And again, it's another reason why God has ordained the church to be coming together. Because this is so important. In a world that is, again, personal autonomy, expressive individualism, everybody's doing their own thing and finding their own truth, then what the church does is completely contrary to that. Because we come together and we say, we don't have the truth. I don't find the truth on my own. I have to know the truth from the word of God who has revealed and declared the truth. So we come together and we learn together and we are admonished and we are encouraged and sometimes we are chastened and corrected and convicted by the truth, by the word of God. Because we all need that. We come together understanding that we bow before a holy God who knows us inside and out. And we come together and we worship because we're saying, God, you are greater than us. We are unworthy. And we have much to learn. And we have much to grow and to be reminded of because we are so prone to wander. So as we come to Proverbs 1, it's really a simple outline tonight. Let's begin with understanding what wisdom is. Wisdom is in a basic, simple definition, practical application of biblical knowledge. We have, been, we have been in the book of James on Sunday mornings. And how much has James emphasized hearing and then doing? Don't just be hearers. Receive the word, apply it to our lives, and then live it out. Do it. Obey it. So wisdom is taking truth, Bible knowledge, and applying it practically. Another, if we could kind of turn the prism a little bit and a little bit of a different nuance or angle to this definition, it's knowledge of God practically applied. The truth regarding who God is, his word, his ways, his will, and living accordingly, living in the light of that and obedience to that in fulfillment of God's will according to his way, according to his plan and obedience. Knowledge of God practically applied. Again, wisdom, practical application of biblical knowledge, knowledge of God practically applied. A third, maybe a little bit different angle on this, is right theology translated into right actions. Again, knowing, being, and doing. This is doctrine affecting duty. This is principle affecting practice. 
This is belief affecting behavior. If we don't believe that the stove is hot, then we'll reach in there with our bare hand and we'll grab the cookies and the muffins and the rolls and the pies, right? But if we believe the oven is hot and there is evidence that there is, what do we do? We put on the mittens, we put on the, uh, the whatever the item is to protect our, our hands. Tony Dungy had a son. Tony Dungy, former uh, coach of the Colts, won a Super Bowl with them. He had a son who did not have certain types of pain sensitivity, nerve endings in his fingers. And they had to constantly teach him and make him aware because he would reach into the oven and he'd grab a plate of cookies and he would reach over on top of the stove or things like that. And he would do great damage to his fingers, to his body, because he had some sort of disorder with the nerve endings. I don't know if it was something that he would outgrow or could be treated. But he talked about in his book, I think it was the book Quiet Strength, he talked about how they had to teach him what would be common sense and simple practical knowledge for us. They had to teach him, you put your hand in the oven, you put your hand on the stove, you reach in the frying pan, you're going to cause great damage to your fingers, to your skin, to your body. Though he did not have the sense of pain. Pain is a gift in that regard, isn't it? Pain is a good teacher. So we have to understand that Right teaching, good, sound, biblical doctrine, sound doctrine, orthodox doctrine, affects our behavior. It affects the way we live. The principles of the word of God affect the practice of our life. And what we believe regarding God and his word affects uh, the way that we behave and how we live out our life. Wisdom is the skill of living a godly life. Skill. Again, we use skills all the time for lots of different things. Uh, as we've been here now, it'll be uh, three years in June, late May, early June, that uh, we, have, we have been here. Um, I know we moved in August of, of 21, uh, but uh, three years as uh, pastor, uh, we are so thankful. And we have gotten to meet some wonderful People, there's been a privilege to get to know so many uh, people and to, to minister to and with and alongside and be ministered to by some wonderful, godly people. And it's been amazing learning as we've gotten to know many of you. It's amazing to learn the various skills, even skills like turning off of a, of a, of a radio in church, but just, just. <laughs> I couldn't resist. There were too many smiles and laughters. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but there's been, there have been so many skills. That, I mean, there are, there's incredibly gifted people that God has, has brought to our church in so many different ways. And it's been a joy to get to know uh, so many of you. But we all are skilled in some way. And we all have been given the power by the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of God, to be skilled in Christian living, to be skilled in living the godly life. We practice our skills, and we should, in our hobbies, in our jobs, and in so many other areas. But what about the skills of Christian living, of godly living? Why are we so inept sometimes at those skills when that is part of the command of God and he has given us the power by his grace 
according to his strength to live the Christian life with skill, with godliness, with character, integrity, holy living. And then can we just drop down to Proverbs 1 and verse number, I just lost it in my, in my text here. There it is, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Can we just maybe summarize wisdom's definition as the fear of God? The fear of God. Proper reverence and respect for God and his word. Living in the light of the fact that God knows us, sees us, holds us into account, loves us, has saved us. All of that knowledge of God in showing proper reverence and respect for God in his word. Wisdom could be boiled down to that simple definition. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It is the preeminent. It is the priority of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. So a simple outline tonight. First of all, the wise man hears. A wise person hears. I'm going to give us, as we work our way through this passage, I'm going to give us several terms. I don't know if we've ever taken the time to look at these words. These first eight to ten verses of the book of Proverbs really set the foundation and give us a lot of the terms that Solomon, by the inspiration of God, will use throughout the book. Do we, do we understand these terms in a biblical definition, in, in the, the right way? I think I've read through some of these. I've read the book of Proverbs many, many times. Uh, reading through it again right now in my personal devotions. And sometimes I've read through these passages and I've read through these words in I just didn't really digest them, didn't really think about them and consider them. So I really want to do that tonight as we have a simple outline concerning a wise man hearing and then a wise person increasing in their learning. First of all, we see to know. We see to know. As we continue here in verse number two in Proverbs chapter number one, we see to know is to ascertain by seeing, by hearing, even by giving, by taking to know what? To know wisdom and instruction. The word know here is even used sometimes in the King James for the actual physical act between a husband and a wife. And so at times it's clear in the context that there is that particular reference. But what's the idea? Obviously that is not the specific way that is used here. But the idea is that of an intimate knowledge. A, a knowing of wisdom and instruction that is deep, that is intimate, that is very personal. This is not just a glance, a cursory study of. This is not just opening up the dictionary or going to Google and doing a quick little search and reading a little bit and moving on. This is a deep, intimate, personal knowing that it is a part of who we are Wisdom and instruction. To perceive, verse number two, to perceive the words of understanding. Perceive means to discern the truth. It means to take hold of and to understand the truth. We also see the word receive, verse number three. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. 
To know, to perceive, and to receive. Receive is to know, to take in. It even can be translated in some contexts to accept, to buy. So when you purchase something at the store, as we all do probably multiple times over the week or online, we click and it goes to our credit card or our bank card or whatever or out of our account, we receive something for that purchase. True? We are now receiving groceries. Speaking of which, I got a text message that our groceries are, have substitutes. We need to do that, but I can't do it now. Because <laughs> we have an online grocery order to pick up tonight after church. So just a message to my wife in the middle of the message. <laughs> but we're going to go tonight to Payless. We're going to park in the parking spot, and we're going to receive for what we have paid money for. We're going to receive it. It's going to go home. It's going to be eaten, used around the house, whatever. Okay, that's the idea here of receiving, and it's receiving the instruction of wisdom. We can use the illustration of a pitcher and a catcher. As you know, I enjoy the game of baseball, and it is an extremely important position in baseball because if the pitcher throws the pitch and it always goes to the backstop, the runners just keep on going around the base. If you've ever played in a little league or watched a little league, especially peewee level baseball, you know, the, the minor league uh, baseball when they're just really little, you know how hard it can be for them to catch the ball and they get on first base and you know certain teams, as soon as that team gets a player on first base, you know it's going to be a run because the catcher is, is, is terrible, can't catch the ball. It was one of the hardest positions when we were uh, starting a baseball team at our former ministry and one of the hardest positions to teach uh, Chandler played some, some catcher, but receiving, receiving it in such a way that it goes into the mitt and it actually results in a ball or a strike or an out or whatever the case may be. We think of it as it's this time of year, football, a receiver. It's not a catch until all the however many multitude of things that the NFL has decided makes up a catch. They have to have it. They can't have to have it under control. They have to do a football move. I don't know how. It's all, and besides, they have replay, and you can stop the game for five minutes while they try to figure out if a catch is a catch, right? It's one of the things that frustrates us about sometimes professional sports is they have to show a thousand replays from a thousand different angles for five minutes. But the whole idea is how important is a reception? Yards, first downs, touchdowns, points, receiving. But we just sometimes are so lackadaisical when it comes to receiving the truths of the word of God. We don't take them in, much less make a football move, a Christian move. We're, we're just so, I don't know, I think again, and I don't mean to get over the top about social media and, and entertainment, but I just think that we're so trained by social media that if it doesn't entertain us in 30 seconds, if they don't get the advertisement in the first seven seconds of the YouTube commercial, the commercial between the YouTube videos, and you know, if they don't get that name brand in there, they, they lose the sale or whatever. We get so, we're so trained by that that we don't have the ability to receive the truth of the Word of God because it's boring. Oh, I don't want to bring my kids to church. Church is boring. There's YouTube influencers that are so much more exciting than 
a bald-headed preacher on a Sunday. I, there, there's, I mean, I dealt with this in school. Why go to school and learn anything? Because we can never compete with YouTube and TikTok. I mean, it, we, we've gotten to this point that we are not able to receive what is really necessary for our growth, for our spiritual digestion system to be able to live out the word of God because we have so much more time and we're so busy receiving so many other things that are worthless, vain, or sometimes downright sinful. No, receiving. And then we see to give. We go down to give. We'll talk about subtlety, but we see to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So we see again this giving so that the simple can receive this truth and the young man can receive knowledge and discretion. Important skills for life. Hear, a wise man will hear. What do we often read in the gospel accounts? He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. We have ears to hear. We understand the importance of hearing. We have a deaf ministry. Uh, we have uh, been praying for Erica, the Berger's granddaughter. Uh, some of us are, are wearing hearing aids. There's hearing um, uh, different kinds of disabilities related to, to hearing, different causes. Uh, my sister has Mears disease. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and my sister has Mears disease, and it affects even to this point her hearing now. And she's wearing hearing aids, and she's just a little bit older than me. But um, they're so in, it's so important that we hear. We understand how vital that is, but the idea here is hearing intelligently, not just hearing the words, the sounds, and making sense of what is said, but it's hearing intelligently and doing something with it. It's action that's involved here. A wise man hears and he increases learning. So there's an understanding that's gained. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Understanding involves insight, discernment. It involves good sense. Can I pause for a minute and just mention how one man who uh, I, I, I respect, he, he describes the book of Proverbs in a very simple kind of practical way. Just don't do stupid things. <laughs> That's kind of how he describes the book of Proverbs. Just don't do stupid things. Because sin makes us stupid. Sin is stupid. And we're all guilty of it. We're all sinners by nature and by choice. And it affects us. It plagues us every day. But sin makes us stupid. Causes us to do dumb things. So we see insight, discernment, good sense. And then we see the fear of the Lord, as we've already mentioned. This is the respect, the reverence for God. It means an awe of him. And it's the principal part of wisdom. We see again the word here, intelligently, with action. And then in verse 8, forsake not. Now notice what it says. Notice how Solomon is led by the Holy Spirit to pen the words, forsake not what? The law of thy mother. Mom. Special word, isn't it? And moms have a way, don't they? They have a, they have a way of laying down the law. Now, dads have a way, but there's something about a mom. There's a tenderness, there's a loving, there's just a compassion. But when mom lays down the law, you know she means business, right? 
And I've had these conversations with my boys sometimes because they want to get mom's this or whatever. Okay, guys, you understand your mom brought you into this world. You understand your mom, and this is this, and this is what she's done for you, and go through that whole lecture thing, and they roll their eyes. I'm like, okay, respect your mother. You're not going to talk like that. You're not going to understand. The law of thy mother. There is something unique and special about that. And when children rebel against their parents and they disrespect their mom, that is a low blow. That is a low place to go. There is a particular, can I just say, evil kind of rebellion when you disrespect your mom, when you treat her like a piece of junk or meat, when you disrespect her and degrade her. She can be, I know some people who their moms have been druggies, they have been derelict in their duty, and it it is particularly painful. I've watched young people who don't have a loving and caring mom, who's strung out on drugs or alcohol, who's not there, and it is particularly painful. It's bad enough when they don't have a dad. And I've seen boys without dads in the home, and it hurts. But when the mom who bore them doesn't care about them, doesn't take care of them, It hurts. It goes deep into the the soul and the spirit. And when a child disrespects their mom, even if they have not been the best mom, when there is a caring and loving and compassionate and sacrificial mother and the child drags her name in the mud and treats her awful, that's a particular form of rebellion and evil that God does not take lightly. So forsake not, don't cast off, don't let it fall, don't let it drop and break and just end up on the floor. No, forsake not the instruction, or excuse me, the law of thy mother. So the second and final main point in the message tonight is that a wise man hears, and he what? He or she increases learning. A wise person increases in their learning. They grow, they mature, they get better, they progress. There's a growth in their spiritual life, in their spiritual walk, in their decision-making. They're growing in their Christ-likeness. We could use all the different phrases of walking the Lord and Christ-likeness, and we could talk about the growth. That's what he's dealing with here. Wisdom, when a man, when a person hears truth, wisdom from God, they learn, they grow from it, they take heed to it, and it develops their life. It causes growth and maturity and discernment in their life. And we have several terms again that we're going to go through very quickly here. Wisdom, knowledge of God practically applied. Verse number two, instruction. This is the doctrine, the teachings, the warnings sometimes in the context. It can be a chastisement. It can be correction, but ultimately it is about training in the truth. So that there is a foundation and there is, in a sense, a formula for living the Christian life according to the truth of the word of God. For holy living, for righteous living, for godly living, for wise living. Understanding is listed here in verse number two. The words of understanding. It has to do with insight, discernment, good sense. Wouldn't our world be a lot better if we had people with good wisdom from God making good sense with their decisions, with their choices. 
instead of, again, the sinful stupidity that we see so rampant in our culture. We have to be different. We have to rise above. And sometimes that's one of the things that we, we talk about at home. And one of the things that, that I implore uh, as your pastor, and that is God speaking to me as well, that sometimes we, we, we have to rise above. We seek the higher ground. We go to the, the, the best. We, we seek the highest good. Not just go with what is the mundane and the lowest and the average and the just okay and just go along to get... No, we're, we're called to a holy calling, a higher ground, a higher calling, a set-apartness. And that's part of this understanding, good sense, justice. We hear a lot about it, but does the world even know how to define justice anymore? When what we deserve as sinners is hell? And we need to, first of all, Cry out for the mercy of God. That's one of the things I'm praying for our country right now in this election year. God, have mercy on us. We don't deserve it, but Lord, have mercy on us. It's going to probably get very ugly, but we know that God is on his throne. Judgment. So justice is righteousness. Judgment is righteous action. Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. We hear a lot about justice and equity. But do we define them according to biblical terms? Biblical definitions. Justice is righteousness. Judgment is righteous action, righteous declarations. So it's righteous judgment. Judgment according to the truth. Not critical theory and all the children and stepchildren of critical theory. CRT and critical queer theory and all the other critical theories where now we even have entire churches and people who call themselves Christians who lay on top of the word of God critical theory. And they see everything through critical theory and not according to the truth of the word of God. It's extremely frustrating to see whole ministries sell themselves out and people who've grown up in Christian homes and have gone to Christian colleges and they sell themselves out to critical theory. And it is a worldview. It's one of the reasons why people are protesting in the streets and making excuses for violent, murderous, savage activity by terrorist organizations and condemning the Jews. It's one of the reasons we're seeing that. There's a multitude of other applications. But do we even understand what equity is? Have we ever heard it said, or maybe we've said it to our kids, life is not fair, right? We've got to learn that real quick, don't we? We try as hard as we can as parents to be equitable. But what does equity today mean? Equal outcomes. So if not everybody is rich and increased with goods exactly the same way in every way, then somebody somewhere has been unfair to them, and they, therefore they deserve, they deserve justice, and they are the victims, and whoever administered that unfairness needs to pay for it, right? And so you live your life in a victim mentality. Somebody owes me, and I need to be given stuff for free and have no responsibility. That's not equity. Equity is fairness according to God's righteous standards. Evaluating ourselves before a holy God and according to the truth. And then the word subtility. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Subtlety. We don't use that word quite the same way today. There's still some nuance of that same meaning in the way we use the word subtle. But it has to do with prudence. It has to do with planning ahead. It has to do with considering the consequences. And who needs this subtlety or subtlety? Verse 4. It's the simple. 
They just go through life, yeah. Oh, this person said this today, I'll go. The, oh, this group, they, they said this today, I'll go. And I would meet these kids, and I, I deal with these even in the ministry as a pastor sometimes, people who, why did you listen to them? Why did you do that? Well, everybody was thinking it was going to be fun. Oh, everybody thought, did you ever think about the, con- did you ever think about planning? Did you ever think about what the results were? Oh, it was just a joke. I've heard that so many times. Oh, this isn't going to hurt me. As a matter of fact, I can give you all of the studies to prove my position and ignore all of the evidence that's contrary. And I've heard that many a time. They have rationalized and justified all of their sinful activities and all the counselors and all the godly people, they just ignore and act like they're a waste of time. But boy, they can sure find somebody out there, can I just say, who's a borderline idiot. And they can find them, right? And they can find their websites and they can find their videos and they can just go along with their ideas. But all the godly counsel and the biblical truth and everything else that would be contrary to that, that's ignored. The simple has to beware. The simple needs to be instructed with prudence, with the truth of the word of God, to change their mind, to turn into a wise person. They're on that fence. They're on that line. Too wishy-washy. No, they need prudence from the truth of the word of God to consider the consequences, to plan ahead, to live according to the truth and to be established in their hearts according to the will of God and the truth. Knowledge, verse number four. To the young man. Isn't it interesting, the young man? I know there's young ladies who need the same truth, the same advice, the same counsel. But aren't young men in need of knowledge, good information, good facts, truth, realities of who God is, his word, and his works? Young men sometimes need a dose of reality. You mean you can't drive 85 miles an hour weaving between cars on I-65 in the snow? You mean I can't just take my bike and jump over that creek at 50 miles an hour going downhill? Been there, done that. <laughs> that was really dumb. <laughs> Went out, started looking around. Boy, that was really stupid. What do you do then, right? It's not like Bugs Bunny where you stop in midair and everything changes and you kind of look around. No, you just keep on going, right? Hit the other side and you're doing this and you fall over and you're like, okay, I'm not doing that again. That was really dumb. But my friend told me to do it. Yeah, okay. But I had to go first. <laughs> Young men need knowledge, discretion. There's just something about a young man. I mean, there's something about a good woman. Hopefully a man has enough discretion to marry a good godly woman because he needs to be domesticated. <laughs> he, needs, he needs his wife's advice and direction to kind of straighten him up, to get him to, to, to be smart and quit doing dumb things, you know. There's an, it's interesting, the young man is, is instructed here. So we see in verse 4, discretion, again, discernment. He needs that discretion, needs that discernment to make good, right choices that please God, that honor the Lord. We have several more. We'll continue just to quickly go through these as we come to a close here. But verse 4 has to do, mentions, excuse me, learning, which has to do again with instruction, teaching, doctrine. Do we see some repetitiveness here? Do we see some repetition? We see some overlapping, as we often see in the parallelism of Hebrew poetry, as we see the repetition for emphasis, the instructional nature of the book of Proverbs, reminding us over and over, sometimes a little bit of nuance, a little bit of angle change, a little bit of additional information or overlapping truth, 
to get us to see, to understand the importance. And then it's interesting, he uses in verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. I know of at least one individual here tonight who works with horses. Uh, there might be more. Uh, some of you work with horses. This is literally the steering by ropes. And I don't understand all that goes on there with the bit and the bridle and everything, but it could refer to a chariot with the rope, horses pulling the chariot, but there's still ropes involved, uh, different types of um, Bible time transportation, but ropes involving the steering of the horse, wise counsel, steering life, skillfully according to the word of God. I'm, I would imagine there has to be some training and some skill involved in good horsemanship. I would imagine you don't just jump on a horse and you're off to some show somewhere winning prizes and awards and going to competitions on your first attempt. No, I would imagine there's all kinds of different instructions and various ways in which you're trained and how to navigate the horse and what means what. Wise counsels. That means sometimes listening to people who say, no, you don't steer, you don't pull the rope that way. You steer this way. When life begins to do this, you do this according to God's way. Steering the ropes, wise counsel. I forgot to put the picture up, but that would be an illustration of wise counsel. Proverb, interpretation, and dark sayings. These are wise sayings, understood by those willing to learn. That means that it might take some determination to solve. The word dark sayings is sometimes referring to a riddle, a puzzle. What is that saying? Oh, the will of God, the word of God is so hard to understand. It's like this great mystery and only people with the secret access code can. No, that's not at all. It's saying these things take some discipline, take some work, take some effort. And those who really want to be wise, they're going to put in the effort. They're going to do the discipline. They're going to listen. They're going to receive. They're going to hear. They're going to apply because they want to grow. They want to be better. They want to develop. They want to be wise in God's eyes. And we have great desire for learning and growing and becoming better in all kinds of areas. But again, it comes back to the skill for righteous living. Are we willing to put in the work to discipline ourselves and the spiritual disciplines in loving people in coming to church and having our personal devotions and saying no to sin and all of the areas that have already been talked about in discernment and understanding and discretion. But sometimes... Wisdom involves, I shouldn't say sometimes, wisdom, true biblical wisdom always involves some work, some effort, some discipline. It doesn't just come with a pill or a shot, and there's no easy way. And we have the power of God to do it, though. It is God that worketh in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure, while we work out our own salvation in fear and in trembling. Knowledge, wisdom, and instruction, we've talked about in instruction and law, we've referred to as well. So a wise man hears, and a wise man increases learning. As we focus on discipleship this year, we can all hear and learn and then help others in their hearing and their learning and their growing. And there might be someone in church, someone that God lays on your heart. Maybe we need to be praying about our own personal responsibility as a disciple, 
but also praying that Lord would lay someone on our heart this year that we can minister to, that we can go out of the way for. Some of our young people need that encouragement. Some of our young couples need that encouragement. There's a cruel world, an evil world out there. We have children who now are exposed to things that 30 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, we never would have thought they would have been exposed to. Words and conversations and topics that I've had to address with my kids that I never thought I'd have to at such an early age. Hearing and, hearing and seeing, sometimes just going to work and being exposed to certain kinds of lifestyles and certain kinds of language, they need knowledge and understanding and discretion, and we can help them and help steer them, helping them to learn how to steer the ropes and to have skillful living in righteousness and godliness for God's glory and for their Christ-likeness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these practical truths. Lord, help us to be learning always, growing, developing, and see how we can minister and reach others and be helping them in their skills and developing their skills of righteous living by your power, by your grace, according to your word, and for your, in your will and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come and lead us in our closing song tonight. And that is 412, A Passion for Thee. If we'll stand, Derek will come and lead us in the first stanza of hymn number 412, A Passion for Thee. Verse 1 of 412. 